2 Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to get to that portion of scripture here in a moment, but last week I began sharing a message on freedom from fear, and at the conclusion of last week's service, I really sensed that I needed to continue on that subject matter. There's a few more things that I feel are are worth discussing and looking at in scripture, and so when I say discussion, uh, I really enjoy some feedback, some amens, pop the clutch, you know, tell the truth, uh, but I know that you're here, your hearts are open and receptive, and, and so let's just get into the Word of God and see what the Word has to say about this very important subject matter that we all deal with. If not daily, you will deal with it through the course of every week of your life, and so it's so important that we understand the truth of what God's Word has to say about fear. As a point of remembrance, when I mention fear, I'm not referring to reasonable doubts that cause us to become skeptical or hesitant. What I'm referring to is the type of fear that creates anxiety or worry, shame or guilt, the kind of fear that haunts the human soul and fear that is unhealthy and is contrary to rational thinking or biblical truths. So I want to review for a minute. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is writing from the inner prison in Rome where he has been falsely accused by Nero of setting the city on fire. Nero is a leader at this time over the Roman governance, and uh, he's a narcissist and an arsonist. He's both. Uh, And I don't know if there's more of a lethal combination than that, but he is the ruler that Satan used to usher in the age of New Testament governmental and societal persecution against the Lord and his people. Up until this time in the New Testament church, most of the persecution, most of the pushback had come from the religious leaders. It hadn't come from society overall. Uh, the, The church was just beginning. It wasn't a threat to society. It wasn't a threat to the government. It was in its infancy stages. It was a fledgling church. And, but you know, it was going to grow because what God plants grows. And this incorruptible seed that was planted into the hearts of the people was was really, you know, catching some momentum, getting some traction. And then there were people coming to faith and people that were even in religious traditions, so bogged down with religious traditions, and yet they were finding new life in Christ, and they were giving up the old wineskins, and they were getting filled with new wine and new wineskins, and they were following a different path, and they had come to understand their need for Jesus as a Savior. Now, now Nero and those in, in the positions of government are threatened by the momentum and the traction that these early believers are starting to gain. And because of this, because of his his own insecurities and how narcissistic he is and and how self-centered and self-absorbed he is, he begins to legislate and, and begins to put things on the books that would restrict where they would gather, how they would gather, what they could say when they gather. So can you see some of the parallels that are going on in the world today? And uh, as a result of this, Paul himself, you know, uh, being the being the leader of of the church at this season, you know, Nero went after him and uh, he's in prison in the uh, in stocks in the innermost prison. And he's he's uh, really restricted in where he can go and what he can do. Uh, But when he hears that that Nero's intent is to go to Ephesus 
which was a port city. It was a very prominent city, an influential city. And uh, because a church there had grown substantially, it was now upwards to, to uh, at its peak, was 30,000 people from that community came to faith in Christ. And they were, they were beginning to gather. So, so Timothy and the other elders and the pastors of, of that particular congregation began to experience some persecution. And this caused the, the congregation to be concerned for their own well-being. And so people began to depart from the faith. People began to leave the church. And Timothy became so timid and, and so, uh, we would say, uh, fearful about his own safety, uh, about uh, his own well-being, that he was even, in a sense, uh, not pursuing and not pressing into the things of God the way that he knew that he was called to. And so Paul, being aware of all of the dynamics that are going on, inspired by the Holy Spirit and because of his great love for the believers and for his son in the, in the faith, Timothy, uh, takes a moment and, and puts pen to parchment paper and he writes these inspired words. And I want to uh, read them once again to you in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, where Paul says, I thank God when I whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. When you're in prison, you have a lot of time to pray. And, and Paul was thinking about all the people that matter to him. And, and uh, the memories were overwhelming him. And, and he began to pray and, and lift them up before the Lord. And as a point of remembrance, he's saying, I, I'm, I have a good conscience in, in what I'm doing. I I didn't set the city on fire. There's a conspiracy against me. I've been falsely accused. But nonetheless, he said, I still thank God for you. When I think of you, I, I, I don't think of myself. He's thinking of others. I, I, I'm very, very grateful for you. And then he goes on and he says, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears. He was aware of the pressure and, the, and, and how it was impacting his son into faith. He said that I might be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, that first dwelt, that dwelt first, excuse me, in your grandmother uh, Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded, I'm fully convinced this is in you also, but it's dormant. And so he, he's saying, you know, I remember, I, I have these memories of you, vibrant faith, genuine faith, sincere faith, and that that this didn't, this is, this is part of your lineage, this is part of your legacy. And, and young people, if you have grown up in a Christian home, you have something to celebrate, not something to be ashamed of. You have, you have something that is more valuable than silver or gold. You have something that's going to see you through every season of life. Your faith has substance to it. And, and he's, he's recalling these things. He's, he's stirring him up. And then he says this, for, I remind you, he's reminding him of some other things, to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You know, Paul knew that there was an impartation when hands were, were laid upon Timothy, upon his ordination, and he was set apart for the call of God on his life. He knew that there was grace that, that was upon him for this assignment. And he goes on and he says, For God has not given you, verse 7, a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Therefore, because of this, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't draw back, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. 
When suffering enters into our story, so does the power of God. You are upheld in the moment of your suffering, not by your might, but by his power. And when we encounter suffering for our faith in the Savior, the power of God is present to strengthen us. And and who has saved us, verse 9, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Uh, we can't take any credit for what God has done. It's his work. We've simply received it. We're the benefactor, but thanks be to God for his grace and that it is his grace that is sufficient. Verse 10, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. One of, uh, one of the concerns that people have from the moment that they're aware that they have an expiration date here on the earth is death. And Paul's saying death has been abolished. Timothy, I, I understand the genuine concern that you have is legitimate. This persecution is not fictitious. It's factual. I'm in prison because of it. I don't know if I'll ever get out. And, but what I'm telling you is what you've got, you've got the goods. You've got the genuine stuff. And don't let anything, including death, hinder you from obeying the Lord. Don't you let it. Because if someone takes your life naturally, all they do is send you into glory and you'll be there forever and ever and ever. I know that that sometimes is a daunting thought to us and, and we wonder if we could, would, would ever pass that test that we could, we would be willing to lay down our life for the faith. But I believe that every single one under the sound of my voice today or in the upcoming days that has the spirit of the living God in you if that moment ever took place, the power of God would be upon you and you would do it. I believe you would do it. I, I believe because you would realize there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. I'm safe in the hands of my Savior. There would be power at that moment. The Lord would be there. Stephen, upon his stoning looked up, and there he beheld Jesus. Jesus is with you in that moment. The stories of the martyrs of the early church and those that are being martyred for their faith today uh, many times testify about the glorious presence and the power of God that is present at that moment where they have to make a decision to draw back from God or to stand for God. And many of them, when they make that stand for God, it's said of those uh, in the early church that were burned at the stake or, or placed in vats of oil and, and boiled, that they were singing while they were departing and going to home to be with the Lord. That's a glorious testimony. And, 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 and one that, that I know sometimes that, that causes us concerns and causes us maybe to be a little hesitant, but I think through the course of this morning's message, I think you'll draw strength to understand that there's no reason to draw back. There's nothing really to go back to. If you understand the work of God in your life, there's really nothing to go back to. There's only going forward in Christ. Let's finish this reading. 
Verse 11, to which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. There's no condemnation in what he is uh, giving uh, in this council. There's there's no shred and, and not one ounce of guilt, or he's not trying to to move them emotionally. He's just reminding of the, of the reality of their faith and the, and the importance of it. He, he also is, is uh, wise enough to say that you've had great examples in your life and follow those examples. Your grandmother was a great example. Your mom was a great example. So, uh, you know, follow, follow their example. Uh, he identifies fear as a spirit and, we're going to drill down a little bit deeper there here in a moment. He instructs Timothy to not permit shame to drive his decisions. And then he says, when you suffer and we do suffer for serving the Lord, commit yourself unto him. Those are the best hands you can commit yourself unto. So here's the question that I want to begin with as we go forward today is where did this, where did the wheels come off the buggy? Where did fear enter into the story or the narrative between God and mankind? Uh, let's go back to the book of Genesis and let's take a look in the third chapter of the origins of where everything began in regards to fear entering into the story between God and man. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent, which is the devil, was more cunning than any beast in the field which the Lord God had made and he said to the woman, has God indeed uh, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves uh, uh, together and made for themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. This is the first time that this is ever mentioned in scripture. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. There is so much rich truth within this portion of scripture and so many lessons to really learn. But when it comes to fear... There are things that we need to be able to identify as indicators of fear trying to have its way in our life. And we can draw three indicators from this 
portion of Scripture. The first thing that happens when fear, a spirit of fear, begins to be operative in our life, we start drawing back. We draw back. We run and hide. And the reason that that happens is because we cross lines. We do things that we know we shouldn't do, and now we're afraid. God God freely gave man everything that he needed for life. Everything. And, and And he was walking with them consistently, daily, in the cool of the day. The Lord would come down and walk with Adam and Eve. Uh, they were so innocent and aware of, of God's great, great gifts of life that they weren't even aware of their own nakedness. Uh, the early theologians and, and many Bible scholars believe that Adam and Eve were clothed in the glory of God. That was their, that were, that was their garments. They were clothed in the glory of God. And, and, of course, the enemy entered into the scene and in stealth mode began to plant seeds of doubt and, and tried to get them over into the realm of reasoning. Did God really say, will God really do? No, this is really God's intent. And he begins to twist and pervert things. But the reason that, that fear was able to cause people to draw back and, and to begin to run from God instead of running to God is because fear got them to disobey. Fear got them to rebel against God. When, when we know to do good and we don't do it, do we feel good about ourselves? Are we concerned that people that we love and respect and, and want to please would be disappointed in us? Absolutely. So what do we do? Many times what we do is just the opposite of what we need to do because now fear is in the driving position in our life and we begin to draw back. We, we are not fully present. We are, are aware of our flaws. We are aware of our nakedness. We are aware of our imperfections and, and we're no longer conscious or aware of God's glory. We're, we're in a position that now we start running and we start hiding. The, the second indicator is we begin to cover our sins. But scripture says our sins will find us out. Secrets do come to the surface. You, you can't suppress them. Eventually, they will, they will come to the light. They, Adam and Eve did what anybody does when fear is in the driver's seat is that we begin to cover things. Uh, we don't tell the whole truth. We, we tell portions of the truth. We tell the, the people what they, we believe would pacify them, maybe not what they want to hear, but just enough that they'll leave us alone. But, but we're withholding part of the information. That's why God asks questions. God didn't ask questions for his benefit. He asked it for Adam and Eve's benefit. What, what, what counsel can we offer the Lord? Can the, can, if he asks us a question, can we offer him an answer? He already knows the answer. He asks a question for us, for our benefit. Have you done? Who told you? And, and there's this accountability moment, but, 
But they were covering their sin. Why? Because fear. Because of fear. And the third indicator that we can see here, and it's very recognizable, is that they blamed others. They they wouldn't take personal responsibility for their own attitudes and actions. That's an indicator of fear. So what are they? The indicators of fear is that we would draw back or isolate. We would cover instead of of confess our sins. We would blame others instead of taking personal responsibilities for our attitudes and actions. Has anyone ever given place to fear? Based on those indicators, we have how many? We have 35 honest souls. And another indicator of fear is lying. And so let's get an honest witness. How many of you have ever given place to fear? Amen. Well, about 90%. For the other 10%, I guess you're in the category of deity. And uh, we'll just allow you to believe that for a moment of time. And uh, But here's, here's the... Uh, Here's some other things that our fear does. Fear always forecast. Uh, its forecast is always dark. As a matter of fact, fear is synonymous with darkness it, because that's its spiritual nature. Uh, it's hopeless. The message is hopelessness. There's no end that is going to be good. There's no recovery. There's no path forward. It always forecasts the worst. Fear equals drama. Fear equals drama. Uh, Fear creates drama, the platform for drama. People still have to give place for it. How many of you have ever watched a soap opera? There's a few more honest souls. In college, I watched soap operas. I did. Uh, it was part of my psychology assignment. So I could understand how messed up human, pe- human people are, right? So uh, the, uh, my, no, my psychologist said, if you ever want to know why I'll always have a practice, just watch soap operas. And, and as a result of that, I, I started watching As the World Turns. And... Another caveat, and Shar and I, when uh, Luke was about to be born, we had wrestled with several different names uh, for Luke. And uh, so he was, he was just baby John Doe at the time. We, didn't ha- we hadn't settled. And we both liked the name Bo. But I couldn't call him Bo because Bo Brady was on As the World Turns. <laughs> And that would haunt me. So we called him Luke. So if you've watched a soap opera, you, you understand drama, correct? A hangnail is a long way from the heart, correct? Not when drama's there. A hangnail lands you in intensive care. And you're put on life support and they ventilate you. When fear is operative in our life, molehills become mountains. Drama. The end of the world. I'll never have another teenage girls, teenage boys who are at, you're going to prom in a couple weeks if, if you want to. That's a decision. 
if you want to go to prom, but has, has there ever been more to do about going to prom potentially with someone that in six months later you're never going to talk to again the rest of your life? But the drama around it, why? Listen, there's so much pressure on our young people to look a certain way, to spend a certain amount of money, and not only on our young people, on our parents. And what's, what's that create? Drama, tension, and who has to look the best on social media because of fear? They can't let anybody outdo me. And there's this, this very unhealthy dynamic. And now guilt and shame and anxiety and comparison is all entered in. And who's behind it just laughing his head off? The enemy. I'm not saying kids shouldn't go to, to prom. I'm not saying they shouldn't celebrate those moments in their life. But they, they should do it with, with a sense of like understanding of what really is happening and what's going on in that scene, in that scenario. So there, it, it creates drama. Now, when I say drama, let me drill down a little bit deeper with this one. It impacts our hearing. We don't hear right. You can tell uh, someone, hey, you really look good, and this is what they hear. You mean I haven't looked good before? Uh, I golf occasionally, and golf is a hard game. And Every now and then someone will say, hey, that was a good shot. If fear was present, they'd be like, God, you mean the rest of mine are really sorry shots? You understand what I'm saying. It impacts our hearing. It impacts what we see. That's why drama increases. Uh, It increases how we think. It causes us to be irrational. That's where the drama enters in. It's not rational thinking. It's not the kind of thinking that comes from a sound mind. It's irrational thinking. It's the wrong conclusion. It's the end of life as I know it. It's the end of the world. It's the end of something. All right, another thing about fear is fear torments our soul. Fear is a bully. It uses past sins as its ammunition to bombard the mind with doubts. It's the only thing the enemy has is the past. This is what his ammunition is, our past sins. What happened to your past sins when you confess them? They're gone. How far? As far as the east is from the west. There's no remembrance with the Lord of your sins. The next thing that you need to know about fear is the spirit of fear is the enemy of the spirit of faith. Fear comes from the outside. Faith comes from the heart. People say, how do I know if, if a spirit of fear is, is operative or stalking or, or harassing me, buffeting me? It's because it comes from the outside, not from the heart or from the spirit. You don't have a spirit of fear. You have a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. The spirit of fear does not reside within you. It is trying to occupy your thought life. It's bombarding your mind. But in your heart, there's a spirit of faith. And the spirit of faith is greater than the spirit of fear. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 
So let's go back. Let's go back and take a few moments to parallel a couple of things here with Pastor Timothy and the believers at Ephesus. They were facing three types of fear. Three fears that are mentioned more than any in Scripture. I I looked up just for uh, humor's sake. How many fears there are in the world? I can't enunciate the number. It's that many. Um, it's, it's in the whatever quadrillions uh, of things that keep people up, that cause them to have a headache or stomach ache or a backache or any other kind of ache or ailment in their life. There's just, but scripture really just primarily talks about three. Three ways in which, in which fear is, is trying to determine or dictate our decisions or drive our life. And Timothy and the early believers at Ephesus faced all three. There was the fear of man. There was the fear of failure or rejection. And there was the fear of death. Those are the three primary fears Fear of man. The fear of man brings a snare. It's a trap. And Nero was setting a trap and he was using fear to do it. He was leveraging his position through fear. He didn't, he wasn't governing with the people in mind. He was governing with himself in mind. And he was leveraging that through fear. Secondly, there was a, what you do matters. You're, your occupation, your vocation, uh, hopefully you're doing something that has a sense of fulfillment for you. And, it, and if you feel like, you know, every your body of work for your life is just about to be taken away, you begin to be concerned about, did I fail? Um, and And with this failure, there comes a sense of, Will I be accepted or rejected? Am I about to be cast out? And then the third is the one that, that obviously you can identify and everyone can associate with was this fear of death. Now, Jesus, in his wisdom, gave us in Matthew's gospel, chapter 10, some insight about fear and Also, how to overcome it and to live free from it. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 27 through 31. Jesus says, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And that's when he says, whenever you're just having your your time with me and I'm speaking to you and you've entered into this place where where." You're seeking and calling upon me. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? 
and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Um, he, he was basically summarizing what I just said. Um, fear is going to try to come and get you to question the Lord, his will, his ways, his timing, his purposes, his plan, uh, any of those things. And, uh, and, and when that is happening in your life, uh, you have to be uh, aware that this spiritual entity, this force from the outside, this evil spirit that is forecasting the worst and is trying to lock you down and lock you up and keep you from going forward and keep you from taking a step of faith, sometimes manifests through the fear of man. And Jesus addresses this, that I, I don't want you to be concerned. I don't, I don't want you to be afraid of man. What I tell you to say, I just want you to say it. Don't, don't be concerned about how they respond or, or anything else. What I give you to say, I want you to say it. When I'm speaking to you, when you and I are in our devotion time, when you're before me and I put something on your heart or I put someone on your heart, I want you to believe that what I put on your heart will help them. Don't be afraid. That, that you going to them will be a sign of humility and love and compassion. And, and what I tell you, announce, proclaim, declare. Don't let the fear of man keep you silent. Keep speaking. Secondly, was this, this fear of failure feel, fail, uh, or being rejected. And, and what Jesus is reminding us of is, you, do you understand your value? If we could put it in question form, do you, can you see all of creation? Can you understand that not anything happens apart from my knowledge? And, and he's saying you have tremendous value. Don't be concerned about failures. God doesn't see failures. God sees what? Learners. God sees learners. The first time you do something new, it's new. You're going to have to keep doing it until you're renewed in it. But keep doing it. And, and so don't let fear of a failure or rejection keep you from being obedient. And then the third, of course, he addresses in here also is that this, this fear of death. And he was saying, hey, don't be concerned. Don't be concerned about man. Don't be concerned about failure or rejection. Don't even be concerned about death because I've got all of that covered. Every single thing is already covered. So we're in the Father's hand, and Scripture says no one can take us out of the Father's hand. No one. So don't be afraid of man. Don't be afraid of failure or rejection. Don't be afraid of death. Instead, what's the one piece of advice that's consistently woven through this portion of Scripture? Fear God. And that's the healthy type that doesn't create anxiety or guilt or shame. But it's a fear that comes from 
the knowledge of the love of God and that we respect him so much that we're not going to take steps intentionally of doing anything that would cause us to cover our sin, to blame others, to run and hide, to not take responsibility. We're not going to do that. If we mess up, and we all do, we've all made messes on aisle three, we're going to confess our sin. We're not going to cover our sin, okay? Because we don't have a spirit of fear. We can go to who? The Father. And our Father loves us. And we fear God. And we're not trying to hide. And we're not isolating ourselves. We can go right to the Father and we can say, Father, forgive me. And the Father does what? Forgives and cleanses us of all of our sin. Not some of it, all of it. And so the shame is gone. Where is it gone? In the cleansing. Where is the regret? It's under the blood. The guilt, the anxiety, it's under the blood. You're fully accepted in the Father's house. Fully accepted. You don't have to earn it or merit it. You're fully accepted. We're not going to blame others. If we did something, we need to take responsibility for it. Whether it's in word or deed. We need to just be humble enough and not let fear say, well, what will they think if they really knew X, Y, Z about me? How would they respond if I did, if I was 100% transparent with them? I was truthful with them. Now, we all understand there's people that have to earn our respect in order to have a certain conversation with. But I'm talking about if we sin against another human being or we breach a relationship and we have a a part to play in it, what part do we take responsibility for? Our part, not their part. Our part. And fear won't. Fear, when it's operative, says, no, they need to apologize first. They need to come to you first. Well, that that may or may not ever happen. But if you know what you need to do, then let's just do it. Let's not allow ourselves to be, come to these irrational conclusions and let's just block and, and try to hinder any drama from escalating in our life. I'm going to close where I closed last week. Freedom from fear is found in three principal truths. You got to know the truth, love the truth, and speak the truth. Because the truth is the truth is the truth. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.